We hope you enjoy this message recorded at Equipus Church in Eden. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com. Uh, I, I just want to pray before, before we get started in case I forget to pray in the middle, right? Is that all right? So, yeah, so maybe you're new or whatever, but, but you maybe just close your eyes. You can at least do that. Close your eyes, focus on God. We've already had an awesome time of worship. But uh, I, I really believe that God wants to open up, our, I guess, to, to shift our perspective. One of the songs sort of said that, to shift our perspective. It, it's, it's entirely possible it's entirely possible, and in fact, on the basis of probability, it's highly likely that your view of the world is incorrect. And sometimes it's your view of the world that's affecting how you feel, how you judge things, and how you live. And actually, just a change in perspective tonight is actually going to unlock a whole bunch of a whole for a whole bunch of us going to unlock um, our, the way we live. And so I just, I, I really feel there's a bunch of people here and you actually, you, you respond to this word. The, idea, the word is this, restricted. You actually feel restricted. That you don't always say what you think. You don't, you feel like you can't do what you want to do. You feel like when you do something, it's not, it doesn't flow. It feels awkward. Like everything feels left-handed or right-handed, depending on what your dominant, depend, you know, whatever. Do you get what I mean? So I just want you to respond. If you know that, you just respond to God as we pray. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for that you're here and that you're our teacher, that Lord, you speak to us, Lord God, and that whatever I'm saying is one thing, but what you're saying is the thing. And I pray, uh, Jesus, that across tonight in the next uh, 25, 30 minutes, Lord, that you'd shift our perspective, Lord God, that we'd see things more clearly, Lord, we'd see things more correctly, that we'd be able to operate with the freedom in the world that allows us to be more effective for your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said, Amen. Awesome, give someone a high five and grab a seat. I, I recently discovered something. Um, uh, if you don't know me, my name is Jordan. Hello. And uh, it has been great to be here uh, across the weekend uh, with the young adults. It was awesome fun. It was the best, the best kind of camp. Once you're old and you get invited to speak at a camp, you get to go to the sessions, but you don't have to sleep in the bunks. Uh, it was awesome. But it sounds like everyone had a fun time, even those who slept in the bunks. And, uh, and something powerful about the time that you get away, again, for that whole idea of perspective shift. And uh, my wife, Chris, and I, we live in Wellington. We've got four children. So two teenagers and two primary school kids. And uh, so we've got it's a nice balance. Uh, we've got two boys and two girls. We've got two extroverts and two introverts. Uh, and all four of them are very intelligent, obviously. It's the power of genetics. It's the power of genetics. They're all good looking as well. You should always choose someone more intelligent and better looking than yourself. Much like what Pastor Willie's done. He set a good example. Ryan's done the same thing, set a good example. Uh, Jacob Greaves, set a good example. Choose someone more better, good look, better, better looking than you and more intelligent than you. Think of your children. You've got to think of your children. Do you want them to be as dumb as you are? Jacob looked in the mirror one day and said, I don't want my children to be as stupid as I am. And he made a brave decision, right? 
Amen, amen, amen. Awesome. So anyhow, that's us, that's our family, and we're excited about what God's doing uh, in our nation. I think we live on the cusp of massive change in history. There's nothing more, di- there's never been a, a, a time in history quite as disrupted as we're in right now. You've got things like the World Wars, World War One, World War II, they are, they're massive moments of change, but they weren't the same levels of technological disruption that we have now that, on a global sense. The, the, partly because there's actually sort of twice as many people on earth now than there, than there sort of used to be, right? In the real recent past, there was only half as many human beings. So the world is actually a much bigger thing than it ever has been before. Human beings being the principal inhabitants of earth, right? We're the significantly most powerful species. We won. We won, you know, the survival of the fittest, we won. We are the best at this. No, we really are. We're much better at it than like, chimpanzees. They don't do it quite as well as we do, right? We do do it the best. So you don't seem convinced. It's like, wow, you need to go to a zoo. We, literally, literally, we're doing a good job, human beings. We're doing it good, right? Yeah, anyway, there's, there's never been anything more disruptive than, than the world right now, but I reckon the disruption that we see in society with everything's being questioned, things have been turned upside down. It's a great opportunity for the truth to emerge uh, because the truth remains the same. The Bible, the Bible says things like that, that the heaven and earth will pass away, but not, not one tiny bit of my word. Uh, and that's not just the words in the Bible, that's the word of God, the, the sound of God, the truth of God. Not one tiny bit of it will pass away. And so I'm excited about the disruption that we're seeing in society because I think it's a great opportunity for God to show Himself strong. Amen? Who's with me? I found out something recently on the internet. How many people like the internet? It's not all good. Don't go everywhere, but there's some parts of it that are interesting. And uh, I was reading on the internet something interesting uh, that I th- was a great comfort to me. Oh, I found it reassuring. And I found it, I found it something that it was almost like, you know, when you read something and you think, I knew it. I knew it. All along, I knew it. And, and, and what I found out recently is that scientists have recently discovered, or, or not even that recently, but it's become more and more common knowledge, that pink doesn't actually exist. How many of you know, how many of you know that's a word of truth? Oh, I'm glad. How many people are glad about that? Pink doesn't actually exist. As a color, it doesn't exist except inside your mind. So all the other colors like green and yellow and blue, all of those actually exist and you see them and then you, and then you interpret them. Where pink, what you're looking at is you're just looking at red and white and then you're mixing them in your mind. Because of the way the light, you don't, not convinced, you need to Google it yourself. Some people are Googling it already, right? The way the light spectrum works, the colors that make pink never, never meet in the light spectrum, right? The only place they meet is inside the interpretive structures of your brain. Okay, how many people you can believe me that pink doesn't exist? Give me a wave if you can believe me. Give me a wave if you just can't believe that. You just can't believe it. Now, this is an example of what I was talking about. What you think you see is so real. What you think you know is so true, right? But the truth is sometimes different and we have to be a little bit prepared for the challenge of the Word of God. When the Word of God speaks to us, some of the things that we're basing our decision-making on, oh, I can't do that because of this. I can't do that because of my family. I can't do that because of my job. I can't do that because I'm shy. I can't do that because of, of, of what people might think of me. Almost all of that, 90% of that is all only exists inside your brain. 
It's only the construction of you in your brain. I don't know if you've had this experience where maybe you've met someone for the first time, maybe someone that you admire or someone you, you know, someone that you're, maybe you're a little intimidated by, right? Yeah, maybe you, you, you see this person at a party or they're in, in school or whatever, and you're a little bit intimidated by them. And it's, all, and it's a bit weird. The, the, you know, you, get, you meet them and it's a bit weird. Right, it's normal. How many people had the experience though that you actually develop a friendship with that person, and it turns out that they were feeling the same thing about you? Right, isn't that weird? Because both of you had created something in your head that was a hundred percent true, except that it wasn't. But it almost was because it affected your behavior, it affected the relationship, and you made something true that you invented in your mind. You created a world that was intimidating and frightening in your own mind. Isn't that weird? Entirely possible that we create a view of the world that's simply not helpful. It's also entirely possible that we create a view of the world that's holding us back. Maybe the world is not holding you back. Maybe you are holding you back. Maybe the perspective that you have on your business is what's holding your business back. Maybe it's your perspective that you have on yourself that's preventing you in your studies. Oh, no, I think I really am just a C student. Do you know what? If you think you really are, then you really are. But I wonder if you could think differently, somehow break the pattern of your thinking. If pink doesn't exist, what else should we question? Right? Come on, if pink doesn't exist, maybe you are powerful. Maybe the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is alive in me and quickening my bottle. But maybe God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above, far over and above, every, if infinitely beyond my highest prayers, hopes, dreams, or desires. Now, these are things we read in the Bible, but we simply, we, it's a real struggle to build it into the framework of how we view the world. That's definitely true for me. Are you with me? Okay, we did a series, which I think you might have, some of you might have seen, uh, we did a series of, of videos, Pastor Sam and I, talking about eternity. And the joke that we used at the start of every video was that this, could, this video could go on for ages. Right, and we tried not to, but we ended up using it at the start of every video. Right, we did this series, and we looked at the parables that Jesus taught. Right, a whole bunch of parables Jesus taught. One's called the parable of the talents. Right, we got one guy gets one, one guy gets two, one guy gets five talents. They do different things with the talents, and then they're judged by what they do with the talents. Wave your hand if you heard the story. Right. Okay, if you haven't heard, it's a really important story about the nature of reality, right? Uh, another story about the, the, the miners. There's a story about the vineyard workers. There's all these different stories that, that follow a similar pattern, right? And for the sake of time, we're not going to read all of the stories. I just want to tell you the pattern. Is that all right? So the plot goes like this. Number one, there's a master. There's the master, right? And then the master has some servants, right? So there's a master, and by definition, if there's a master, then there's servants, right? Or as what are you the master of, right? So there's a master, then there's some servants, and then the master, <laughs> we have a nightmare with my notes. It's just, it shut by accident then. I'm trying to get there. Sorry. I'm old school. Like, uh, my children have taken over my tablet, so I have to use a notebook. <laughs> there's a master who has servants, and the master, there's a, a gift or a trust or a commission, 
and a task. So this whole mix up of things like some money, but then there's an expectation around the money or there's a vineyard, there's an expectation for a harvest. So the master gives a gift and the gift is always connected to the, the, the expectation of task. And that task is not just a task. It turns out to be sort of a, a holy trust that's extended to the servants, right? So these aren't ordinary run-of-the-mill servants, you know what I mean? It's not your 16-year-old labourer. This is somebody who's respond, is given not just a gift, they're given a heavy responsibility, right? And the stories end with things like, and he was thrown into the outer darkness. So when I say heavy, I'm not overstating it. It's a heavy responsibility given to servants, right? And then there's the main character. The main character in the story is time. And it's, it's always time is the thing that kills us, right? I can eat healthily, but not over time, right? The concept I've got clear in my mind, I know more about eating healthily than I ever have, right? But what happens is I can eat healthy for breakfast and I can just eat healthy for lunch, right? And then at some point in the afternoon, chocolate bars arrive, right? Why? Because time is the ultimate test. That's why no one's going to pat you on the back when you've been married for a month. Yeah, wow, you guys are an inspiration, right? That's not inspiring. But someone who can be married for a long time, that's something that inspires us. Not because marriage by itself isn't inspirational, but marriage across time is something that we all understand. Now that's a thing. I've got a friend who he works out at the gym. And he probably has a bit of an advantage in terms of personality over me. I'm a more random personality. He's a more ordered personality. But I was looking through his gym workout notebook four times a week, right? Four times a week, he's, goes, he's been to Les Mill. Four times a week, every single week for four and a half years. All in the notebook. It looks, I haven't looked at every workout, it looks like he hasn't skipped a set or a rep in four and a half years. Right? How do you know there's something inspiring about that? That's not inspiring if it was like I've been to the gym on Thursday for 20 minutes, right? The, The fact that time is the ultimate test of how well you can carry the trust. Right? Good. So time's the ultimate character in all these stories, right? And at the very end, you've got this big wrap-up final scene, uh, which is variously called judgment or reward. Now, how many people love rewards? Right? You don't get a reward without judgment. The re- if you want the reward without judgment, all you're asking for is a handout. Everybody gets an A. How many people, when, you, when everybody gets an A, nobody got an A. When everyone gets a gold medal, no one got a gold medal because you haven't created value. As soon as, if you're going to say, this is valuable, this is the thing we judge to be excellent, right? A hundred meters in nine seconds. No, that's excellent, right? We all, let's all agree that that is a pinnacle achievement, right? Or, or great pharmaceuticals, right? One or the other is going on when someone runs 100 metres and nine, or both, actually both, right? <laughs> that person trained hard as well, right? But when we say that that's valuable, can we all step back from that and go, that is amazing, without thinking like, when they hand out gold medals on the TV, do you feel upset? Well, how, well, how come I didn't get a gold medal? Right? 
you, you don't because innately you understand judgment. You understand that that person got a gold medal and they deserved a gold medal significantly more than you deserve a gold medal, right? But sometimes in life we think we read the Bible without judgment, without judgment. God's grace is extended to everyone. Now that makes no sense without judgment. If God's grace is extended to everybody and there's no judgment, then that's not grace. That's just like everyone has a gold medal. No, God's grace is like this. Nobody deserves a gold medal. But if you connect your life with Christ and engage with Christ in a new way and think about your world differently, that's what the world means by repenting. It's an actual shift in your life. The Bible doesn't say, smile at Jesus and He'll smile at you and everything will work out in the end. Preachers preach that, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that you need to repent and be baptised for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, how many of you know that that's a whole lot easier than dying on the cross? The Bible doesn't say if you die on the cross as well, you can be forgiven of your sins. Jesus died on the cross. Now, let's, let's all acknowledge that's the gold medal. He earned that, right? But then He extends to us the ability to connect our life with Him. And if we can repent, and if we, can, uh, if we repent and be baptised, then our sin is forgiven, right? What sin? sin is the, to sin is to run 100 metres in two and a half minutes, Right? It's to miss the qualifying mark by some margin. And most of us, compared to the qualifying mark of 619 different commands that the Scriptures give to the Jews, we miss that mark by, in a similar sort of fashion. Do you know what I mean? We're running for the Olympics. We're running in the 100 metres, and it's taking us two and a half minutes. Right? And then we're like, why, doesn't, why, haven't, I got a, why haven't I been selected? Well, the, the reason you haven't been selected is because you're no good. You know, when you're at primary school, you don't say that. Do you, you know, when they're picking the teams, for, for you know, for, for, and they're picking the teams. I, mean, I was one of those people who got picked last a lot. I don't feel sorry for me because I learned some great skills. One of them being able to tear people down with my words. It's a wonderful skill. <laughs> Trust me, I can do it. I can tear it. When we were choosing baby names, when we were choosing baby names, Chrissy would come up with a name and I'd say, oh, I don't like that, right? And then I would come up with a name and Chrissy would say, oh, I don't like that. Now, one of the problems Chrissy had with some of the names was it was names that were easily made into bully words, right? And I said, tell me a name, any name, and I'll show you how to use, I can, every name. And so she went, she opened the baby book and just went through every name. She would say the name and I would come back with a comeback. Do you know what I mean? Just to, to tear that kid down and to tear that kid down, to tear that kid down. We did about 50 names and she's like, okay, we can, whatever we name our kids, someone like you is going to be in their life. So we'll name them their name and then we'll teach them strength, right? Because <laughs> that's actually what you're going to have to do, right? You can't avoid conflict, right? You have to build strength, right? Now the reality, the reality, the reality of life is when, you, when I got picked last, for all the soccer games, do you know what I never asked? I never said, why do you always pick me last? I, didn't, I never asked that question because I knew why. They were picking me last because I can't play soccer, right? They're picking other people first because they're better than me. If I was picking the teams, I would pick me last. Now, come on, when, when, when God looks at the world, I understand that I would pick me last. 
I can understand why God can't love me. I can understand it. I can understand why I'm judged, right? I can understand it because I missed the mark. Which is why when we sing songs of God's grace, I can understand it. I can understand it. Do you know one of the most dangerous things people ever say when someone messes up, their friends say, I can't believe it happened. Do you know when any one of my friends mess up, I never say, I can't believe that happened because I know exactly what it looks like to mess up. I know I can see the darkness in my own heart just the same as you can see darkness in your own heart, which is why we're not frightened of judgment because we know God's grace. Now, this, this is the mix-up that Israel Falau got himself in. He didn't have time in his Instagram comment to just say what I just told you, right? But we're all comfortable with the idea of judgment everywhere. Okay, there's some areas where we want everyone just to have a go, you know? Finger painting, paper mache. We just want everyone just to have a go. But as you go through life, we get less and less interested in everybody having a go. When it comes to driving on the roads, we make judgments, right? There's some people, they, they can't drive on the road, so they're not going to, right? When, when you need surgery and you're meeting your surgeon, are you going to be glad that they're not just giving people a go and you turn up for your surgery and you know, there's Jordan Smith, well, it's my turn this week. Everyone gets a go at being a surgeon. No, come on. We understand, we understand that there's a, there's a, the attainment is such a powerful thing. And when we read Scripture about the promises and the goodness of God, we're excited about it because we have access to that level of attainment through the grace of God. That's why we're pumped about the grace of God. We're not excited about the grace of God because it's a let off. We're excited about the grace of God because we understand how far we are from those things. And we know that in God's grace, we can be connected to it. That's really important because what I'm about to read is quite tough. Is that all right? Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. Okay, everyone, is everyone comfortable with the idea of judgment? We know God judge, God's gonna judge us all, but His grace is available to us now. His grace is not available at the judgment. His grace is available to us now, right? Okay, can you read that from where you're sitting? Okay, I'll read it as well because that's what we normally do in church, even though everyone, well, let's not assume we can all read. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then it will sit upon His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in His presence and He will separate people as a shepherd, a shepherd, a shepherd separates the goats from the sheep. He will place the sheep on His right hand and the goats on His left hand. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, who were they? Sheeps. He says to the sheep, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Is that cool? So a bunch of people, he separates them, sheep, goats, to the sheep, he says, sorry, it's a bit awkward, I'm not judging you, right? But it'd be, it's like, imagine how it's, this is an awkward moment that God's describing here. Everyone's all together and then he just pulls apart. He separates them all, they're all mingled. He separates this one from there, that one, you go there, you go there, you go. And then he goes to these ones. You're all still, everyone's still there, right? So, and he says, you guys inherit blessing. You come into the kingdom. You receive these promises, right? This eternal life, benefit, blessing, all that. And then he says this, for I was hungry 
and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. Right, these are pretty famous words. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or when did we ever see you as a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison? And when did we ever visit you? So all these sheep have been doing the right thing and they can't remember doing it. Interesting, isn't it? When did we ever, when did we ever do that, all that stuff? And the king will say, I'll tell you the truth. When you did it to one, everyone say one, of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Cool. Then the king turns to those on the left. So he's spoken to those on the right. Now he speaks to those on the left. And he says, uh, turns to those on the left and he says, away with you, you cursed ones. That is a... Strong words you don't put on the front of the church building. Into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. Okay, this in my Bible, this is read. This is Jesus actually saying these. And then he says this, because I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. They will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison? And when did we ever not help you? And he'll answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers, you, refuse, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go to eternal life. This is a pretty challenging little story, eh? Have you ever read the Bible to your children? Get a children's Bible because the actual Bible is frightening (laughs) and wildly inappropriate for children. It was one Easter when we first had to talk to the kids about sex because we read, we were reading from the Easter story and the virgin, Mary was a virgin and Madeline's like, seven, what's a virgin? I was like, oh, well, here, well, let's answer the question. (laughs) Right? What about, what about this story? At the end of it all, there's a moment of judgment. And it's confu- it's a, this is a confusing thing. They get, these people all get separated. And none of them really know anything. They've got no idea. What, why are we in the... Why? It's amazing to me that the people who get judged righteous had no idea they were righteous. No idea. And then the people who get judged cursed, they're equally surprised. It appears like nobody, everybody's perspective pre-eternity completely disagreed with the eternal result. It looks like all of them thought pink was actually a colour. And then they got to heaven and they're like, wow. Everything we thought was wrong. Everything we understood. They're completely disorientated by the story, much the same way as I am right now. This is a completely disorientating story. It's, I, I, I believe that Jesus did this on purpose. 
to upset us, to unsettle us, right? What on earth does it mean? There's a choosing, there's reward and there's punishment and these punishments appear to be eternal and the rewards appear to be eternal. This is a heaven and hell type story based on the way these people lived in the here and now. In eternity, they're judged in an eternal perspective on the basis of how they operated in the here and now. I don't know if I'm 100% comfortable with the idea that God is going to judge my actions, my thoughts and my behaviour in eternity based on how I live in the here and now. I'm not 100% comfortable with that idea, but it appears to be what's in the Bible. It's hard to make a case for anything other than we are at risk of eternal punishment. At best, we're, we're, I can't, though, there's a lot of very gymnastic theologianing that goes on, right? About how God, Jesus is going to save everybody, right? But there appeared to be two groups of people in that story. Okay? So anyway, how, how many people are feeling happy about being at church tonight? <laughs> but I wonder what it would look like to live in a world where they gave everyone gold medals. Would anyone be able to run fast? What would it look like to live in a world where everyone got paid a million dollars? Would anyone invent something that makes the world a better place? Is one of the reasons Bill Gates has produced a, a way of computing that's actually created huge amounts of benefit throughout the world. It, it, one of the reasons he was able to do that because he was rewarded for it. I wonder if what Jesus is trying to set up for us here is a way to operate. There's a way to operate in the here and now that gets us judged righteous and blessed at the end. Now, we don't know what, it, what the story means. We don't know if all those people go to, to hell in the literal sense, as in Dante's Inferno, the myth, that, that literary sense of burning and acid and demons poking you with spikes. We don't know that that does happen, and we don't know that it doesn't happen, but we do know that we're judged, right? So if we know that at the end of everything we get judged, let, why don't we run fast? <laughs> Shall we run fast? Well, if you don't run fast, you're gonna go to hell. Maybe, but, but maybe it's not as simple as that, right? Maybe the whole of theology doesn't fit into an Instagram reply. Maybe that's part of the problem here, right? Maybe, maybe it's a bigger deal where it just says, no, we're definitely gonna get judged. So let's just run. Let's just give it everything we've got to live our life in a way that gets honoured by God. Wouldn't that, I think, if nothing else, that's the best we can do. There's no point us wasting time now deciding whether we go to heaven or hell when we die based on this story. The thing we should focus our attention on is if this is perfectly true in a literal sense, let's get in the sheep gang. <laughs> right? Rather than, and if it turns out that even the goats get in, well, that's good too, right? We'll all dance, right? Like sheep and goats. I don't know how goats dance, but it would look like that, something like that. Okay, so there's two ideas in this story that I want to draw your attention to. Probably there's three because they've written three points down. So there's three ideas in the story that I want to draw your attention to just before I close. Number one is this, is the idea of otherness. Jesus seems to be judging as valuable. Jesus seems to give gold medals to people who are focused on others. Right, that seems to be something that he wants us living right now. So 
when you're, when you're a parent, you reward the behaviour that you want to multiply in your children, right? And you punish the behaviour you don't want, right? Right? <laughs> or you produce people that, or you produce children that all of the people that you come into contact with don't want to talk to. Right? So you reward the behaviour you want, you want more and more of, right? And Jesus rewards otherness. A perspective on others. There's a whole bunch of rewards for otherness that are masses, right? This is a classic, this is a classic, this is a classic New Testament idea. This is a classic Christian idea that when you do something for the least, when you engage in, in, in a blessing for the least of these, right? That's how you serve Jesus, right? That's how you serve Jesus. One of my friends is a pastor and he's got this, this slogan, real, like his church slogan's like real simple. They're, they're from Queensland, so it's real simple, right? And it's like, like uh, uh, love God and serve the world sort of thing. You know, and he posted a picture of him preaching on Instagram. He's got lots and lots of Instagram followers because he's a somewhat political person. So some people hate him, so they follow him. Um, and, and he posted this. He was just preaching about something else and this just happened to be in the background. And someone commented, are we supposed to serve God, not the world? And I was like, I was, my fingers were itching above the keyboard. You should see some of the things that I've typed out and deleted. Seriously, you should see some of those things, right? I write them, I've got these other Facebook profiles, right? So if you ever see something really intense from Smythe Jordan, you'll know who it is, right? <laughs> Man, that guy's crazy, yeah. But anyhow, the reality, the Bible says this, you can't serve God. Oh no, I'm, I'm here serving God, Pastor Jordan. Well, the Bible's really clear in Acts chapter 17. The Bible says you can't serve God. Because he doesn't need anything. When you say to God, do you want a cup of tea? He says, I'm fine, thanks. When you say to God, would you like a back rub? He says, no, I'm fine. And that's a bit creepy. Uh, when you say to God, can I mow your lawns? God's like, I already did it, right? When you say to God, can I service your car? He says, it doesn't need servicing because I created it and it never goes wrong. The reality is you can't serve God because he doesn't need anything you've got. If he needed anything you've got, he's not God. The reason you think you can serve God is because most of the time you think you're God and he's someone who helps you. Oh, God, I need your help. God, I need this. God's like, I'm actually busy with really important things and you're supposed to be doing things for me, not me doing things for you. I, don't, I, don't, I believe God wouldn't express it in quite that tone. But he does tell stories like this, where he says, you're supposed to be engaged with the least in a serving, in a blessing, in an impacting. You're supposed to be doing things right now for me. And I wonder if we engaged our hearts more in doing, in engaging, in acting for the least, I wonder if we'd be less depressed and anxious. Because one of the rewards of otherness is you forget yourself a little bit. Do you know, confidence is the reward of otherness. Security is the reward of otherness. Friendship is a reward for otherness. These are rewards in the here and now that get rewarded to us. You stop worrying about yourself when you're focused on the least of these, when you're focused on blessing people who need it, right? This is a core judgment of Christ. Otherness is right through Scripture. Jesus values those who focus on others, who the focal point in their life is outside of themselves rather than inside of themselves, right? The challenge with the story, the confusing thing about the story, is he says to the goats, he said, anytime you didn't 
Oh. Anytime you didn't help, you didn't do it for me. Oh, that's a big, that's, that's a massive. Whoo. Anytime you didn't help someone you saw hungry, you didn't help someone you saw thirsty. He's just thirsty, he can get his own drink, Jesus. No, the reality, that's a, that's a full on thing. But on the, on the sheep side, he says, anytime you did. So the sheep just had to one time happen to help somebody. And ah, come on, that's amazing. And then the goats just happened to one time not help and then they're judged. <laughs> this is entirely unfair. Why, why, how can you live it? How can you do that? The Bible says this real weird thing about giving, this really weird thing about giving. It says, when you give money, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Right? And some people thought that means don't let anyone else know what you're doing. But that's not what it says. Is it? it says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. So what you need to do is when you give money, you put your left hand in your pocket and give the money with your right hand. So your left hand can't see what's going on. Clearly, I should be doing that masterclass on interpreting the Bible. Interpreting the Bible like a bogan from Parabaram. It's only $10 each. It's only $10. On account of the fact that I'm making it all up as I go along and I haven't done any study. But you'll find it a blessing, no, no doubt, no doubt. It's not what it means. It's not what it means. To not let your left hand, think about this. Think about this. Everyone stand up. Come on, stand up. Yeah, sit down, sit down. Stand up. I said, stand up, Vickers. Okay, stand up. Okay, I want everybody, I want everyone just to, far out, a lot of disobedient people. <laughs> okay. Okay, now I want everyone just to shimmy for me, just shimmy. Just give it a bit of that. Give it a bit of, you don't know what, you know? Some people are like, no, I'm not doing that because that's sensual. Okay, everyone sit down. Okay, sit down. Okay, now... <laughs> Some of you, some of you could just stand up, right? You just stood up. Wait, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, right? Older people here, some of you older people were like, oh, stand up. You're like, oh, I can engage the abs, flip, <laughs> lean forward. One of my new rules, one of my new rules, because I've kept myself doing this. Do you do this when you get off the couch? <laughs> Did anyone do that? Have you heard yourself do that? That's an old man thing, stop it. <laughs> Control yourself, focus. So now before I stand up off the couch, I have to go... I like that, so there's no groaning, right? Okay, now, when we got the shimmy going, right, some of the Caucasians amongst us, you just looked at me like this. Right, but Kale was just like, yeah, oh, yeah. He didn't even know what he's doing. I just said, I just said the word shimmy and his left hand didn't have to tell his right hand what to do. Right? When the Bible talks about giving, it says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing, right? In the same way that Bowden Barrett couldn't explain to you how he throws some of those passes, he just does it. Right? Because his left hand doesn't need to know what his right hand's doing because it's a natural flow. That's what the Bible's talking about when it says giving. You should be able to give without having to have a meeting for your right hand to convince your left hand that it's the right thing to do. Right? That's exactly what the story's pointing to. Anytime you forget to do it, you're going to hell. The one time you just accidentally did it. See, God's looking for us to accidentally bless people. This is the thing. God's wanting us to have a, a perspective and an attitude where we're accidentally being the right kind of people. 
See, this is where Christians get such a bad rap. We try so hard. Okay, everyone stop trying so hard to be a Christian. <laughs> These are the things you don't preach in your own church, right? <laughs> don't try so hard and just be. Just be a blessing. Just be focused on other people. Oh, I'm gonna, oh today I'm going to try really hard to be focused on other people. You're going to struggle to try really hard to be focused on other people because what you're focused on is yourself focusing on others. I'm focusing really hard on myself to make myself focus on others. Well, that's not really going to work, is it? What you need to do is you say, God, I want to focus on others. I want to be a blessing. I want to have an outside view. Most people in church view the whole world from inside out. We need a view of the church from the outside in. Then we'd be able to listen to the stupid things we say and think, that's not even English. <laughs> right? We need to understand people. We need to be other focused, right? The next thing we need to be is we need to be real. At no point did Jesus commend people who had happy thoughts about others. At no point did Jesus commend people who just celebrated the fact that their tax money was doing something for the poor. There's, there's, no, there's no subcontracting our blessing to other people. The fact that the government takes your tax and blesses the poor is just good. That's just good luck in our, in our country. It doesn't, it doesn't mean you give a damn. Right? What means you give when you care about other people, that's when you do something. That's when you, and I'm not talking about money tonight, right? I'm talking about this otherness. It's got nothing to do with money. It's expressed in all those areas of life, but it flows, right? And it's got to be real. See, there's this great verse in um, Matthew 10 40. Because we, we always, we talk all the time as Christians that we, we, we're going to change the world. We're here to change the world. But I love what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, 40. Throw that up on the, on the screen for us. Anyone who receives you receives me. Anyone who receives me receives the Father who sent me. Not the verse I was after. Move on. See if it's next. Can you move on? Okay. I'll quote it from memory because I gave you the wrong reference. I apologize. I feel stupid now. It's funny, it's terrible when reality reminds you that you're stupid. <laughs> okay, get that scripture off. It's the wrong one. <laughs> Turn it off. <laughs> oh, this is a great bit in the Bible. Somewhere in the Bible, I'm 100% sure that's in the Bible, where Jesus says, uh, anytime you gave a cup of cold water to the least of these, isn't that cool? One of the things I like about that is that a cup of cold water is not a grand gesture. You're not going to get an MBE for services to thirsty people for the giving of one cup of cold water. But it appears to be the sort of thing that will get you to heaven. It's funny that the sort of thing that will get you noticed on earth is not the sort of thing that will get you to heaven all of the time. The things that get you to heaven are things that other people would overlook but are coming from a motivation that's been transformed by the grace of God that a cup of cold water would be something that's a blessing to other people. Think about the context in which Jesus said, anyone who gives a cup of cold water to the least of these, they live in a desert. So to give someone a cup of cold water is a bit different than to give someone a cup of cold water and the dean is like, wow, they could just go outside and open their mouth. <laughs> All right? 
Because that water is not the thing we need the most here. Water is not the thing we're suffering through lack of here. The day after I, th- I preached this sermon one time in our church in Wellington, because when I come here, I like to have already had a practice. And I practiced the sermon at our church in Wellington. And then on the Monday, I was walking down Cuba Street, talking on the phone to Alistair Marwani, who is Equipers Church in Palmas North. And I was chatting away to him because uh, he thinks I know what I'm doing. So he keeps ringing me up for advice. And I'm like, okay, I'll make something up. Uh. <laughs> so I'm walking down Cuba Street, chatting on the phone. And I, I walked past Jimmy, who's from our church. And Jimmy used to be homeless, but now lives in a house. But he still has the same job as when he was homeless, which is he has a prayer ministry on the street. He sits on the street and prays for people that walk past and he happens to leave his hat on the ground, right? And the people that walk past get blessed by his prayers somehow and they give him money into his hat. Brilliant, he makes about 30 bucks a day on top of his sickness benefit. It's going real good, right? It's a great plan. There's probably a bigger opportunity for Jimmy and I need to keep convincing him of it, right? But that's what his job is, right? Every day he's on Cuba Street, he's praying for people, talking to people, trying to be a blessing in the city. At the same time, he gets coins from them, right? So that's Jimmy, right? So Jimmy's sitting there, and the previous Monday I'd be walking to the same meeting, and I'd walk past Jimmy. I was talking on the phone, not to Alistair, but to somebody else. And I was walking past Jimmy, and I was on the phone, so I just did the, you know, the whole, just did the mouldy hello to Jimmy, like that, on the phone. And then I walked past Jimmy. But then this was the second Monday in the row that I was walking past Jimmy while talking on the phone. And I thought, I've got actually time. So I said, I'll call you back, Ali. Turned my phone off, sat down next to Jimmy and had a chat because it's one of the best things you could ever do with some spare time is chat with Jimmy. He's awesome. He's got about a thousand police convictions. He's got a story for every occasion. So I was chatting with, I was sitting there chatting with Jimmy and we were just chatting there. And this guy walks, this guy comes along and Jimmy goes, oh, Isaac, Isaac. You got to meet Jordan. You got to meet my my Pastor Jordan. Jimmy always introduced me to Pastor Jordan. I find it embarrassing. You got to meet Pastor Jordan. And so I'm like, no, he doesn't. He just says, you got to meet Jordan. I've just about spoiled the story. He said, you got to meet Jordan. So he's chatting to me. And Isaac had just bought Jimmy lunch about 30 minutes before, this guy Isaac. I was like, oh, he's a cool dude. Right? Anyone who buys Jimmy lunch is a cool dude, right? And uh, there's about three people in our church who've accidentally bought Jimmy lunch, got saved, and end up in our church, right? And so this guy had bought Jimmy lunch, and so I thought, oh, I'll better engage with this guy because obviously God's working. And so I'm chatting with this guy, we're chatting about the council's new policy around begging and a few other things that are relevant. We talked about the fact he was from America, he was actually on holiday, Isaac, and we talked about the fact that did he vote for Donald Trump? Uh, he claimed not to. Most Americans claim not to have voted, but some of them must have, right? And uh, so he's. He's, um, he's chatting away, we're chatting away. And, and then I said, oh, look, I better go to this meeting. I've got to go to a meeting. And so I said, I'll catch that at Jimmy. And then we started walking and Isaac said, oh, I'm going that same way. So we walked down Cuba Street and just by Scopa on the, at the lights. We're stopping at the lights. And as we're standing at the lights, Isaac says to me this, oh, what do you do for a job? And so I said, I'm a church pastor. He burst into tears. And he said, oh, I can't believe I've bumped into you. I said, he said this, he said, last night I prayed and I said, God, you have to show yourself in my life. He's on holiday in New Zealand. He was leaving the next day. He bought a homeless guy lunch, bumped into me. We're walking down and he says, what do you do for a job? I'm a pastor. He said, man, I just prayed last night. We crossed the street. He's in tears. And he said, I said, what's going on? And he said, oh, I can't believe my life has got to here. I can't believe it. I'm so shallow. I'm just living for the moment. I know that my life's supposed to have purpose, but I'm just not living it. I'm desperate to get reconnected with God. 
And I prayed last night that God would show Himself in my world. And I said, here we are, me and Jimmy. It's the only God you're going to get today. So he's this guy, he's my Facebook friend. He lives in a town I can't pronounce in Oregon. And I was watching his Facebook feed. I said, when you get home, you just got to find a church with, some, with, with a pastor like me who will, just, who will just help you find God. You just have to connect. I'm watching his Facebook feed. Two, two days ago, his Facebook feed. Oh, a bunch of people have been asking me where I am. I'm not coming out in the town anymore. I'm not judging all you guys. I just need to do something for my own life. Like, wow, God's working in this guy's life. And this moment, do you know what? I stood in front of that guy and I just, and I just said, here's a cup of cold water. I didn't talk to him about the tabernacle and the angels and demons and heaven and hell. I just said, you just need people like me in your life. And this was a cup of cold water because it was what he was suffering for lack of. Do you know tomorrow, tomorrow, because you're other focused and because you're real, you're going to bump into an opportunity to just give someone something that they need. Some life, some hope. And you're going to develop a habit of accidentally being a blessing so that when you get judged in heaven, you'll be surprised that you're righteous. What? Me? I've just been living my life allowing the Holy Spirit to change me. Here's the deal. If you try hard, you can never be sure you won't miss it. Right? The people that He judged, He said, there's this one time you missed and you're out. The people that He called blessed, He said, there's this one time you got it right. You're so awesome. See, this is grace. The thing about the grace of God is that the grace of God is what enables us to be forgiven, allows us to be forgiven. We're forgiven by God's grace, but it also empowers us to live a life that honours Him. Grace isn't, grace, isn't, grace isn't just like a covering over. Grace invades our reality and transforms who we are. It's the grace of God that's going to make us other focused. Nothing else is going to do that. It's the grace of God that's going to stop us being psychological in our faith and being real in our faith. It's the grace of God. And I'm, I'm completely out of time, but I'd love to extend the grace of God to you. If there's one thing I could give you, it's a cup of cold water. It's the thing you're suffering most through the lack of the grace of God. You need the grace of God to access His forgiveness because you can never measure up. And I'm about to give you an opportunity and I'm going to speak, for, I'm speaking forcefully right now, not because I want to force you to take a decision, but I really desperately need you to understand that if you don't take the opportunity to access God's grace now, you may never get an opportunity again. This is a moment that's powerful where we say, God, I need your help in my world. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and I'm choosing to live a life following you. It's super simple and super powerful. And this is an opportunity. So why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads. And, and if you're here this morning or even tonight, if you've never made a decision to acknowledge Jesus, maybe you've never made the decision to say, yeah, I'm going to make my life about this Jesus thing. Maybe you've made that decision in the past, but you walked away from God and tonight you need to actually make a commitment to Jesus. Or maybe you're here and you're just wildly unsure. Am I a Christian? Am I saved? Am I a sheep or a goats, right? What you can do is take this opportunity to make yourself sure. 
in a moment I'm going to count down three, two, one. And then if you're in either of those one, two or three groups, I just want you to lift your hand and then we're all going to pray a prayer together. I don't want to embarrass anyone, but I just, I do want to give you an opportunity to do something real rather than just something psychological. Just a simple act of lifting your hand to acknowledge the need of Christ. So while everyone's got their heads bowed, their eyes closed, if that's you, lift your hand in three, two, one. Shoot your hand up and give me a wave and say, that's me. Include me in that prayer. I want to acknowledge Jesus as my Saviour. Just shoot your hand up right at wherever you're sitting. And once I've seen it, you can pop up and down. There's one, two, three. I think there was four people over this side. One, two in the middle. Thank you, God bless you. You guys can put your hands down. How many others are making that decision tonight trying to, to acknowledge God? There's six, six people already responding, which is so awesome. And again, like I said, this is an opportunity, but I want to make sure you know that this is an opportunity you should take to acknowledge Jesus, asking for His forgiveness, choosing to change, and allowing God into your world. Awesome. Could we stand to our feet, church? Is that all right? And let's pray together. We're going to pray this prayer together. If you lifted your hand, pray this prayer. If you're too scared to lift your hand, pray this prayer, right? Because there's no magic in lifting hands. There's, there's power in the name of Jesus. And nearly said there's magic in the name of Jesus. No magic in it. There's power and real power in Christ's work in us. Is that all right? Let's pray together. Dear God, I thank You for loving me and extending grace towards me. Today I choose to acknowledge my sin and I ask You, Jesus, to forgive me. I'm choosing to follow You for all of my life. In Jesus' Name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give God a shout of praise. um, In the parable of the talents, the guy who gets five goes and does something. The guy who gets two goes and does something. The guy who gets one just buries it. Most most of our Christianity is buried. Like I said, most of what we do is we have a psychological faith. Like it's not real. It's not it's not measured. If someone followed you around, they wouldn't suspect you of being a Christian. True for me. The only reason that guy Isaac knew I was a Christian is because I said I was a pastor and he just assumed that was the same thing. I, I reckon, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Airbnb took over, took over the whole world in terms of accommodation without building a single hotel. I think we could transform all of Dunedin without building another building. If we could maximise the latency in the marketplace, sorry, bad words, but if we could maximise the fact that, like Airbnb, Airbnb knew that you all had a spare bedroom and they were able to get access to it. Come on, you, you've all got a spare space in your world for other people that we could actually get a hold of if we could engage and say, okay, I'm going to do this otherness thing and I'm going to do this real thing. I can, be, I can, I can do others and I can do real I can do others, I could do real. If, if you have problems with anxiety and depression, this is a, this is a potential solution for you. Other-focused and real, right? There's a whole lot of solutions you need for those sorts of problems, but this is one of the things that will help. Come on, if you're trapped in a sin cycle somewhere, others and real, this is something that can help you break out of that. If you're like, if you're middle-aged like me and your whole life's just, bleh, 
Come on, other focused and real. This is something that will move you forward. If a vision has recently died, come on, get other focused and keep real. If someone in your, if someone's left you, your girlfriend's broken up with you, come on, get other focused and get real. Don't get locked in your own psychological shambolic world. Come on, get other focused and get real. Come on, I want you to lift your hands. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, would you move across this room right now? Thank you for listening to this message recorded at Equipus Church, Dunedin. We pray it blessed you. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com.